RadioArchives.com presents Will Murray's Pulp Classics. The Secret Six Magazine from November 1934. House of Walking Corpses. The Second Adventure of the Secret Six by Robert J. Hogan. Read by Michael C. Gwynn. Plus the thrilling short stories, Mystery Bones by John Carson, and Ice Patrol by Tony Farello. Two months ago, James Waldorf had died, yet now he walked again, a thing resurrected from the tomb. What was the secret of the curse that was turning one of America's richest houses into a family of living dead? Grimly King and his Secret Six hit their skill against the strange murder scheme of a corpse master. And now, the Secret Six's thrilling adventure, House of Walking Corpses. Chapter One, The Death Ship. The face of the young man at the controls of a low-winged cabin plane was wrinkled in smiles until he sighted the strange picture of a small but palatial yacht drifting aimlessly in the middle of Long Island Sound. His cold blue eyes hardened. The smile left his face to be replaced by a troubled frown. He was flying the plane for the first time from a port near College Point. His whole body had thrilled with the flight because it had been the first since he'd been snatched from the electric chair on a framed charge of murder. Doing nearly two hundred miles an hour, he'd paid little attention to the drifting yacht when he'd first sighted it. At his speed, it had seemed as though the craft were moving slowly, but as he neared it, his trained eyes had failed to see the parting of waves before the bow. The yacht wasn't moving. Perhaps it was anchored while the occupants did some fishing. The silent exhausts on his plane cut the noise of the giant motor down to a gentle hum as he neared the boat. Curiosity drove him on. There was something strange about the yacht which he couldn't quite figure out. He lifted a pair of powerful binoculars and adjusted them to his eyes, and now he knew what it was. His mind's eye had seen it and registered it rather than his visible eye, and that something that he hadn't been able to explain before now gave the yacht an eerie look. The flag was at half-mast. "'That's queer,' he said. "'There's no one on deck. The boat looks deserted.' He swung the glasses and took a good look at the bow of the craft— an exclamation escaped from his thin lips. It's drifting, too. They hadn't even bothered to drop anchor. He was much nearer now. He straightened a little as everything came into clearer view, and then his hand touched the throttle before him, and the engine picked up more speed. He cut the motor back and circled low about the drifting craft. The whole thing looks queer, he decided. A yacht, drifting, no one on board except for a dead man, if I can believe the meaning of that flag at half-mast. He frowned as he continued to study the yacht. Maybe it's broke loose from the mooring somewhere. Another good look at the bow. No, there's an anchor up on the forward deck. Someone would have seen it leaving a pier or a dock. There ought to be ropes dragging along. Then his keen eye took in something else. 
There should have been two boats, one on either side of the craft. The curved arms to hold them were visible, but one boat was gone. The ropes and tackles that had held it were swinging with the slight movement of the craft in the gentle ground swell. Someone had left the yacht to drift, had taken off in one of those small lifeboats. The young man swung about the yacht once more. That, he said, is one of the queerest things I've ever seen. I wonder what the rest of the band can figure out of it. He turned his plane southward, gave her the gun for more speed. His eyes roved the shoreline for the small field he intended to use as a tarmac. The young man was known to his five associates as King, just King.'